0: Good morning again. It seems right that we should stand up and greet the first 500 people you see. Now, you may have to go out into the road to do that, but say hello and just welcome the folks who are here this morning. Would you do that? Okay, that's enough of that. Good morning. We're celebrating She's almost A quick word we are actually recognizing graduates next Sunday. And if they tell us what color we, they want, we'll try to have the keys here next week for you. Um, but actually, Abby is graduating today. Stephen graduated yesterday. And then there are some others that are coming along behind. So, congratulations to you. We, we do want to recognize graduates next week. It won't be with a new car, I might have. <laughs> A few years ago, I, I read a series of books, and a few years ago can be quite a while ago to me, but there was a, a book that came out called The Crossing the Switchblade. Anybody remember that book? Okay, a few of you do. Thank you. Great, thank you. Somebody remembers it. And I saw somebody else back there. It, yes, it, that's true. We are. Uh, it, it came out of a, of a group called Teen Challenge in New York City, David Wilkerson. And some of you remember that name. Remember a little about the ministry. And it was specifically was about a guy named Nikki Cruz. And Nikki Cruz was a member of a street gang in New York City, and he tells some stories that are pretty amazing. One thing he said is the first time he met David Wilkerson, and, and David started talking to him about the Lord, is he smacked him in the face and threatened to kill him. And the second time he met him, he slapped him in the face and threatened to kill him. So it was, uh, it was an inauspicious start. And then, little by little, and, and I don't remember how it was that Nicky Cruz came to a meeting... Uh, that David Wilkerson was holding, and then out of that came to faith in Christ and developed his own ministry, worked with Teen Challenge for a number of years and, and developed his own ministry. But The Cross and the Switchblade was a, that story, and actually became a movie, too. And then Nikki Cruz wrote a book called Run, Baby, Run, which was an autobiography, and some of you may have read that, too. But there was a period of time when I read that, that, uh, the accounts of those stories, and it was, just, it was great to read of transformation, to read of change, because the guy that Nicky Cruz was disappeared, <laughs> and the one that he became who gave his life to Christ and gave his life that others might know Christ was a whole different picture than the one that started. He had a past number of years ago in our church in southern Ohio, we were just a stone's throw from the high river. If you had a really good arm, you could probably throw a rock in the high river. Well, maybe you have to throw it twice, but it was, we could see the river from the front of the church. And a young lady came into our church. Her name was Liz. And Liz lived down by the river, just, just a half a mile or so from the church. And, and she was a very mysterious young lady. She lived in a mobile home, and then she began to date, and I don't remember all the connections, but she began to date uh, a young man who had attended our church, Rick. And soon they got married, and they just became part of us, but always kind of withdrawn, uh, pleasant but somewhat withdrawn, And then one day, after a couple years, this was at least two years later, they had at least one child by now, and they'd moved across the river to Maysville, Kentucky, and I get a call, and the FBI has surrounded their house and arrested Liz. And she'd been extradited back to Michigan. Well, it turns out that she had been part of a a group, a gang, a group of young people. I don't think they were an organized gang. I think they were kids who were misled. And they had gone into somebody's house. The purpose was to take what he had. And this man had been killed. And so she was party to this man's death. Uh, She hadn't been an active part of it, but she'd been there. And she was uh, complicit by just being there. So this, this just took me back, but here's what I remember most about Liz. One Sunday night before this happened, she came up to me. We still had Sunday night services. She came up to me, and, and she said, I, I would like to be saved, and so we talked for quite a while. I had talked to her before, but I believe that night she gave her heart to Christ, and the Lord came into her life. She recognized that Christ had died for her sins. What I didn't know was this enormous pressure that was on her. Well, Liz uh, was taken back to Michigan, and her case became fairly widely uh, publicized. In fact, in the Detroit Free Press, there was a, an article... And then they gave her a part of the, the Sunday magazines that they do, maybe they still do, I don't take a newspaper anymore, but the Sunday parade magazine had an article on there with pictures, and it told about where she came from and where she was. And she just gave a, a great word of before and after, and how her life had changed, uh, and we had nothing to do with it. We just happened to be there. But her life had changed because of Christ. And I look back on that, and I think, wow, you know, what a transformation. Because she was a sweetheart, gentle young lady. What happened? Well, the Lord came into her life. And, and then there are other people that I remember. Uh, not all of them are people that you would say... Wow, they did terrible things. Some of them were already sweethearts. We had two older ladies that came into our church not so many years ago. They were already in their 80s. And one Sunday, kind of caught me by surprise, the two of them, they were sisters, both had lost their husbands, widows, and they came to the front of the church. Their name was Flo and Aileen. And Flo and Aileen, some of you can smile because you remember them. Flo and Aileen, that morning, dedicated their life to Christ. And they said, whatever years left, we want to live for Christ. You know, the amazing thing was that the most important people in that church became Flo and Aileen. Because they embraced everybody that walked in that door. (laughs) Everybody awake now? Uh, I don't think I did that, but, uh, Flo and Aileen embraced everybody that walked in the door, and one time, this, this is a great story, I have to share it, they, uh, they had embraced everybody, we had a special event at Christmas, and lots of people came through, we call it the walk through Bethlehem, and Flo and Aileen had left their car, only one of them could drive, and I don't remember which one right this moment, uh, One's hand was crippled so bad with arthritis, she couldn't drive anymore. But they had left their car in the parking lot in a normal place, and they came out, and somebody had torn the mirror off of their old Buick LeSabre. And the, the next Sunday, in talking with Flo and Aileen, they were their typical self, and I said, you do know that you hugged the person that tore the mirror off your LeSabre, don't you? And, and they, just in their typical fashion, smiled. And, but they just love people. But they were different, even though they didn't have the same kind of past. They were, they were just kind of normal people, but they were changed. They were transformed. And You know, the church is about changed lives. The church is about transformation. And if it isn't, then I'm not sure the church is about anything at all. If the gospel of Jesus Christ has lost its power to change lives, then I'm not sure exactly what we're doing here. Uh, Nicky Cruz, yeah, we're not Nicky Cruz. I don't think any of you have lived like he did, but his life was changed. Liz, probably none of you have even lived like Liz did, but her life was changed. But lots of us maybe have lived a little like Flo and Aileen, and our lives are changed too. And the Lord is the difference in our life when he comes into our life and he changes our heart and makes us like himself. Today we're going to look at the story of a changed life. We started last week a a series on 1 Timothy for the summer. And last week we talked about the church, it's not about the building. Uh, We don't have a building, we have a pretty modest setting in the middle of a mall. So it can't be about the building And and we talked about the church is about right teaching, right doctrine. And that's important because if you leave right teaching about who Christ is and who we are, then you can't possibly have the story that we're going to tell this morning about changed lives. That makes sense? Because the changed lives are based on the right teaching that he started with in chapter 1. So the last section of chapter 1, we're going to look at starting verse 12 in a moment. It talks about a changed life, and all of us know the Apostle Paul. What we forget sometimes, oh, we know, but we forget how mean and harsh he was. He was an ordinary guy, and he hurt people. I was listening to someone just happened to be talking about the stoning of Stephen yesterday, and they reminded us that the garments of the people who were killing Stephen were thrown at at Saul's, at that time his name was Saul, at his feet. And the wonder why. Well, it, was, it showed as his involvement, some feel like he led that. He led the stoning of Stephen because in Acts chapter 8, right after that, it says that he was persecuting and dragging people away. And he was trying to destroy the church of Christ. And so it, it was really Paul involved in the stoning of Stephen, but I have to pause for a second. Anytime I think of this story, I think of Stephen and the impact that he had on forever. That Stephen and, and the way that the Lord met him in his death and the impact that he had first on Paul and then on all of history. But Paul became, if not the greatest, uh, I don't know who would be greater, missionary, In all of history, but it started at a moment in time. It started at a moment when he met the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. I'm going to read 12 through 20, but let's stop and pray for just a second. Lord, again we believe we have in our hands your word. And we have the account of a man whose life was changed. And God, we believe this morning that the power to change lives still resides in the gospel that the Holy Spirit can come and change lives today and I pray Lord that everyone here would have a sense of the reality of the change that comes through Jesus and that if they've never come to faith in Christ that this would be the day that they would Lord I thank you as you give us the story of Paul, in a way it's encouraging. It's encouraging to know that you could take someone who is so hostile and so mean and use him as you did. Lord, thank you for that. Help us now as we read and, and think, Lord, to get exactly what you'd have for us, nothing more, nothing less. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. First uh, Timothy. Chapter 1, starting at verse 12. Let me just read those verses through the end of the chapter. I wish I could get into it and speak them just like Paul, but I can't do that. So try to enter into this and think how the, the emotion that's in this passage as Paul was writing it. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful Appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example of those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, and only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith in a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme." You know, that section begins with an example of Paul, who at that time's name was Saul. And when he's writing, I think that what impresses him, him, his own heart the most, is I'm not what I was. I'm not the same person I was. And he's reflecting on back on what he was. You know, what I have experienced in my life, and listen to this for a second, is that what we were can really be a discouragement, what we were. And our past can keep us, we can't get past our past. Our past can keep us from embracing grace. And I've known people like this. I've known people who were dear to me like this, that they couldn't get past their past. They couldn't get past their own failures. They just couldn't get beyond it. And maybe their failures were awful. Some of them were. I know too much about some people, but they couldn't get past it. And I've always wondered why. You know, Christ's grace is sufficient no matter where we've been. Paul's an example of that. But his grace is sufficient. And why do people not embrace and accept Christ's grace? Why? Well, sometimes it's pride. I really believe that many times it's pride. It's the unwillingness to come to grips with who they really are in their heart of hearts. Right? It's sometimes just not being willing to face who we are in our own failures. And pride can be a great deterrent to grace. But I think there's something else. And that is that we just can't understand the depth of grace. And and that Christ's grace is sufficient Uh, Paul knows that knows it fully his grace is sufficient it's adequate no matter where we are no matter where we've been no matter what we've done that his grace is sufficient and if we don't get anything else if you don't hear anything else this morning would you hear that Christ's grace is sufficient no matter where you've been that is, grace is sufficient. Paul says, uh, I was a blasphemer. A blasphemer means to speak harsh against, to speak against. I spoke against Christ, church. I spoke against Christ. Paul was probably converted about two years after Christ was killed. It's hard to tell exactly, but most people feel like it was very close. I feel like Paul saw Christ and was encounter- encountered him while he was on earth. I'm sure he did. But he, he just couldn't come to grips with who Christ was until finally that experience where he encountered Christ in his fullness and realized what grace is about. And then his life changed. Um, he says he was a persecutor. You know, a persecutor is someone who aims to harm and destroy if you read that section of chapter 8, that was his desire. It was to destroy Christ's church. That's not true of anyone here, is it? Anyone here who has just as your driving motivation of life to go out and destroy Christ's church? No, I don't think so. You wouldn't be here. Unless you're carrying and intend to use it. Uh, you're, you're not there. But Paul was. That, was. that was who he was. He wanted to destroy the church. He said, I was insolent. He used that word. Insolent means to be haughty, but it means to be spiteful. Don't you hate insolent people? They, they just are spiteful. You know, their heart is just constantly agitated. And Paul said that's who he was. Of, his own, of himself, he says, I persecuted the church violently and tried to destroy it. Uh, Galatians chapter 1. And then you read that account in in Acts 8 where he was approving of the execution of Stephen and persecuting and dragging away followers of Christ. And so just a question, how would you go forward with all of that on your conscience? Would it be hard? Would it be hard to move forward in service with all of that on your mind and on your conscience? I think so. I think it would. And... What could possibly change somebody and allow them the freedom, allow them the ability to go out and speak the name of Christ in love? What could change them? Well, he talks about that. He says that, look at uh, verse 12. I thank the Lord uh, that Christ Jesus judged me faithful. First point, and he appointed me to service. He judged me faithful. He appointed me to service, and, uh, and he gave me strength. Three things there, I see. Gave me strength, appointed me for service, and judged me faithful. In thinking about that for a moment, isn't that kind of what the Lord wants to do for all of us? Isn't it? Wouldn't he like for all of us to come to him? And he would give us strength to do what he calls us to do. He'll always give you strength to to do what he calls you to do. And that he would judge you faithful, not because of who we are, but because of he is. And then that he would put us into his service. The word service there is the same word as deacon, diakonos. And it just means to serve. This wasn't any glorious position. Some translations use the word minister. But... I don't like that very well because minister seems to put you on a different plateau. That's not what he was talking about. He was talking about serving, just serving, whatever way the Lord put before him. He counted me faithful to be in his service. You know, it's easy to give up. In fact, it's a lot easier to give up. Anybody? No, I won't ask. Yeah, I will. Anybody here ever given up? Anybody here just given up? Yeah, a number of us, haven't we? It's just easier to give up. Sometimes we say, I don't see the resources. I just want to give up. It's much easier sometimes to give up. And the Lord says, don't give up. Don't give up. In fact, if you keep reading there, he says, I received mercy at latter part of... uh, Verse 13, I acted ignorantly, but look at verse 14. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. You know, he coined a word here. I don't think it's used anywhere else in the New Testament. And it's, it's a compound word that means to superabound. And he couldn't, as he was thinking about God's grace, I think what happened is he couldn't think of a word. You ever been there? You just can't think of a word that's adequate? And so as he's attempting to express what God's grace did for him, he couldn't do anything but just coin a word. It superabounded. It was above and beyond. I don't know. What word would you use? But that grace was just so great that I can't even express it. So I'll just make a word up. Uh, Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious kind of word, you know. I'll make a word up. Is that a real word? Uh, And and so he did. He coined a word. And and as I say, I don't think it's used anywhere else. But it speaks of abundance of grace that he experienced. And then he went on to serve. The grace overflowed. Over the top kind of grace. Well, Paul was the kind of person. If you'd been standing there at the stoning of Stephen, let your mind go a minute. If you'd been standing there, would you be inclined to say, That guy can never be saved. That guy can never be changed. Would you? Huh? I would. I'd say, that guy? Oh, no, not him. He can never be reached. He can never be changed. And yet, not only did the Lord change him, he used him in amazing ways. Nicky Cruz, the guy that smacked the face of the man who mentioned Jesus to him, And said, I'll kill you if you talk to me again about that. Uh, He could never be saved, could he? Uh, Is there anyone beyond grace? No, there isn't. There's no one beyond grace. Uh, We're not beyond grace. Uh, There is no one beyond grace. If Paul, and he is the example that's before us, uh, could be saved, so can anyone else. And you know what follows this Is just kind of what flows out of you. And as Paul's thinking about all of this grace, look what he says in verse 17. And you've got to slow down on this a little bit as you read it. He says that Christ came to save sinners of whom I am foremost. Wow. I'm not much of a guy. And then he says that this is who this God is. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. To my forever king. Do you, do you recognize Christ as forever king? You know, do we pause long enough to think that the person who saved us is our forever king? Uh, he's immortal the word immortal is the idea of without corruption he's unchanging never going to change one iota he's immutable good word he's never going to change uh, without corruption he's invisible we don't see him but he exists in ultimate reality uh, because he exists in an eternal realm and while we don't see him while he's invisible today he's more real than any of us who are here and then he is the only God, he says. He's unique. Not God's little g, but God, the God. So, as Paul's thinking about his own salvation, he's thinking about grace, That it leads him directly to just pause for praise. Does that happen in our lives? Do we sometimes just think, Lord... You've met us, you've loved us, and I'm not very lovable. Myrna will tell you, I'm not very lovable sometimes. I don't even love me, and yet the Lord loved me, and the Lord extended grace to me. Uh, I'm glad you can't read my diary. I don't keep diaries because I don't want to think back. I don't like to think back, but I know that Christ became sin for me. I don't have to think back because of grace. And so I I have to pause and pray. And then Paul, growing out of this, gives a charge to Timothy. Notice in verse 18, he says, This charge I entrust to you. I think it's worthy of stopping there for a second. When you entrust something to someone, you entrust those things that are most valuable, right? Right. You give them the, the ability to control your estate afterward. Um, I've left all my bills to my two sons. I, I entrust my bills to my sons. That's their inheritance. And uh, I'll try to whittle them down before I'm gone, but, but I've entrusted, I've entrusted my, uh, my guitars, which never get used, to my sons. They can split them up. They can do whatever. I don't have much to entrust. But I do have something to entrust. I have the gospel. I have the good news about Jesus. And that's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, I'm going to entrust this inheritance to you, Timothy, and you need to be faithful with it. You need to be sure that this thing does not erode. And that's the word he's given to Timothy. This charge I give to you, that I, I entrust to you. Uh, Timothy, my child. And look, look at that. Timothy, my child. You know, I, I love my sons and grandsons. If you've never noticed it, uh, you should. Sometimes they're not very lovable either. But I love them anyhow. And I, I really, one of my great delights is to spend time with family. It's one of my great delights on earth. And uh, to, to spend time with Luke and Josh, and, and even these two over here, Eli and Josiah, and just spent, and we used to go out the driveway and play ball and just do things. But I, I, I really enjoy the time with them. And when, when I say my child, I, I, may, I wouldn't use it exactly the same way, but do you hear in Paul's uh, tone here, Timothy, my child? You know, you hear an emotion. You hear a richness to this. Uh, And then he goes on and says, in accordance with the prophecies made about you, that you wage a good warfare, Uh, the prophecies. You know, there was a point where people recognized that Timothy had something special, that he was a faithful man, and they recognized gifting in him. And so they, they laid hands on Timothy and sent him out to do mission work. And Paul says, Timothy, 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 I love you. But be faithful with this work that we've entrusted in your hands. Son Timothy, relationship. And then notice that he says, uh, he goes right into this. He's, he said, you wage the good warfare. He tells him that two or three times in this book. And he said... Holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of the faith. So there are some people in their midst, right within the church. These weren't outsiders, these were teachers, leaders in the church, and he mentions them, Hymenius and Alexander, who had departed from the faith. And I don't know exactly what happened to them. I think they forgot who they were, I think they forgot the gospel. I think what happened is they didn't realize, and sometimes this can happen to us, uh, sometimes they didn't realize what had happened. I'll go to the, Nate, I'll go to this one. They did not realize and forgot that the Lord saved them. And that when he saved them, he saved them from, what's the word, sin? Sin. And I think they forgot who they were. I think that Hymenius and Alexander began to think they had something to do with it, that they had something to offer. We don't know exactly the error that they taught, but they just didn't remember where they came from. Uh, We all need to remember where we came from. Folks, we all have a past. Maybe we're living in it, that past. But we all have a past. Everybody who has come to faith in Jesus Christ has a past. And maybe your past is a little like sweet little Flo and Aileen. That just lovable would hug you and pleasant as they could be. But what we didn't know what was going on in their heart, they had a past. And every one of us has a past. And I think these two forgot that they had a past. I think they forgot what they were redeemed from. And so he said, I've handed them over to Satan. What's he saying there? Well, I put them out of the church. They're not teaching here anymore. I put them out of the church so that, in order that, they could be spared. This was not a, uh, a disowning them as much as it was an action to redeem them. You know, when he put, turned them into the world, his desire was that they would see their error and that they would repent and come to faith again, right? That was what he was looking for, was change, repentance, and a turning back. And so let me think about some applications out of this. The first is I think we all have a past. The church is full of people with a past, and that past should be behind us. We ought to be forgiven for it. We ought to be rescued from it. We ought to be being changed day by day. When I was a little kid, Charles Atlas. Anybody remember that name? Greg remembers it. Anybody else remember it? Oh, Bob remembers it. Yeah, oh, some of you do. Charles Atlas was actually an Italian whose name was Antonio something or whatever. He was not Charles Atlas. But he uh, tells the story as truth that he was a kid about, early teens and he was a 97 pound weakling and he was walking down the beach and some bully kicked sand in his face and he said that's never going to happen to me again so he began lifting weights and work it out and he developed this huge system and when i was young it was in every comic book i didn't read a lot of comic books but it was also in every sport book uh, do you remember this dave when it was all over the advertisements and and uh, it would be Charles Atlas. And then it would always have a before and an after. I was a 97-pound weakling, and some bully kicked sand in my face, and this is what I look like now. Well, I, I listened to all that, and I, then there was advertisements like this. The insult that made a man out of Mac. You know, that was the advertisement. And this guy made a living out of this, and really, his the genius of this was his advertising. I don't know that his system was that good, uh, but and the, there's the one that he used personally. Hey, skinny, your ribs are showing, which was never a problem for me, but he actually copyrighted that phrase, hey, skinny. Can you believe that? He copyrighted that. Well, what it was really about Was I'm going to take you from a 97 pound weakling to look like this. He was selling before and after. At about 12 years old, I said, I don't want anybody kicking sand in my face on the beach, so I sent for one of his books. I don't remember anything in it, I just remember sending for it because I wanted to look like the after, right? I wanted to look like Charles Atlas. Well, as you can see, it's pretty obvious it never happened. (laughs) But there's a much more important before and after story. He made a living on selling before and after. Uh, The Apostle Paul sold a before and after story, but it was free. The before was the persecutor, mean man. The after was the loving apostle who could write to Timothy and say, Timothy, my son, be faithful. Be faithful. What a before and after story. Uh, we, We all need before and after stories. Maybe it's not as dramatic as Paul's, and maybe not as obvious as Charles Atlas, but we need before and after stories. And then finally this. No one, no one, no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. No one. No matter where you've been and no matter what your heart has been, there's no one beyond the reach of grace. And thinking about that should lead us to praise, should lead us to thanksgiving, shouldn't it? We have a great God, and he's a God who is a God of redemption and a God of mercy. Would you pray with me? Lord, you've entrusted to us uh, the good word of grace. And just as you instructed Timothy to fight the good fight, we, we want to fight the good fight. Lord, we want to contend for the faith. We don't want to give up. We know that the grace of Jesus Christ is the hope of mankind. If mankind is to be changed, then it's going to come through the message of grace. Lord, help us as a church. Help us as a people. Help me, Lord, as a person, to express that message of grace to any who will listen. And Lord, for us as a people, help us, Lord, to be faithful in conveying that message. Maybe as we're praying, is there someone in your mind that you say they really need God's grace? They need to come to grips with that would you just take a minute and just pray for them just in the quietness of a moment maybe someone comes to your mind Lord, as we pray, in our humanness, in our frailty, we might even think that person can't be saved. That person can't be changed. God, I know that they can. I know that the, the message that Christ died for our sins and then wants to extend grace, that that message of the acceptance, the forgiveness, the love of Jesus, that can come around us no matter where we've been and what we've done, that that message can change any life. And Lord, help us to believe that and help us to live it. Help us to be faithful. You've entrusted to us the message. Thank you, Lord, for that. You are a great God. And we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.